Welcome to Mintel's Little Conversation podcast. Welcome to Mintel's Little Conversation, where our experts bring you fresh ideas and new perspectives on how consumers eat, drink, shop, groom, and think. I'm Edward Bergen, global food and drink analyst, all-round foodie, and I'm a hummus fanatic. Um, We are still witnessing the challenges of the worldwide pandemic COVID-19. Recently, we've actually, uh, with our really big global team of of analysts, working really hard to make sense of it all, um, which is quite challenging, but we are producing so much content on it, which is giving our readers um, kind of a lot to think about. Um, We really understand that industries are suffering. Um, But one industry that is close to our hearts on this podcast and that continues to serve us as all is food and drink. And it's not surprising because we all, wherever you are in the world, we all have to eat. And so this podcast, this time, um, slightly different from the COVID podcast that you may have already listened to. If you haven't, please go back and and do that. Um, But this is our second one. for us and it focuses on how the world has reacted to the pandemic um, and what the future may hold within the food and drink industry. Um, I've got three truly awesome analysts who um, we, we had this really big discussion about who, who those analysts would be and it was mainly because they'd, they've all written in their regions about this particular issue and how it impacts the food and drink industry. Um, so I've got Marcia, uh, Jody, and Rick. So do you want to introduce yourselves in that order? Sure. Hi, I'll start. I'm Marcia Mogolonsky. I'm the Director of Insight from Intel Food and Drink, based in the United States, currently in California. Hi, I'm Jody Minotto. I head up the Food and Drink Analyst team here in Asia Pacific. I'm based in Sydney, Australia. And uh, I'm Rick Miller, and I'm the Associate Director for Specialised Nutrition, based in uh, London, UK. Thank you very much, everyone. So we, we've been talking for about 10 minutes or so discussing um, how we're all feeling about isolation. And, and it's a lot of ups and downs, I think is the best way to put it. Um, but actually, I wanted this podcast, I wanted to make one request of you guys. However, um, we've all, however we're all feeling um, at the moment, I wanted to try and make this as uplifting as possible. Um, I wanted to show how the food and drink industry right now, I think, is actually representing the best of humanity um, outside of our amazing medical services around the world. Um, I wanted to show how food and drink kind of creates a whole sense of community for all of us. Um, so we, when we discussed it uh, and, and how um, we would structure this podcast, Marcia had a great idea. Um, so well done, Marcia. Um, she called it, what was it, the re-series um, we have three big words and, and each of you are going to build on one of these. Um, we have reinvigorating, retooling and reintroducing. And it may not make sense now, but it will soon. And um, Rick's going to start us off. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Ed. I mean, it really is, um, it really is a reinvigorating time, especially for, um, for consumers at this point and in specialised nutrition, uh, particularly because it's a time when COVID-19 is really making consumers stand up and start to face the issues around health. Um, I think for a long period of time, uh, many conditions such as diabetes or issues with uh, immunity, perhaps high blood pressure, obesity, healthy aging, that maybe they should have dealt with at some point, um, are now really being thrust to the forefront uh, in the face of COVID-19. And that's because many of these conditions are now being associated with worsening outcomes associated with COVID-19. So, for instance, we're seeing... um, insights coming through from uh, the main medical journals saying that 20% of those with diabetes are at worse um, outcomes 
necessary to because COVID-19, they lead to worse um, issues and symptoms related to that condition. And so I think we, we can definitely see that those sorts of things are going to make people have a bit of a health overhaul and after the pandemic has, has passed and we've got things um, under control a little bit, we're going to start to see invigoration uh, and reinventions of different products in food special medical purposes. We're going to see consumers starting to uh, to grab some of the, uh, the the opportunities to improve their health and and take things forward. And we're even, I think, going to see uh, changes when it comes to the way that consumers start to tackle some of these conditions. You know, we're living in an era where there's um, not not a vaccine as of yet, and we hope that very soon that's going to come. But in that time frame, consumers still want to. Uh, still want to try and address this issue as fast as possible. And we've even seen uh, from the Chinese government that they, there has been even uh, some, some uptake of traditional Chinese medicine alongside orthodox medicine to try and combat COVID-19. What sort of ingredients are Chinese medicine? Because I don't know, some people won't even know what that is. Yes, of course. So if you think about what is um, to, to regular consumer, what would you... Traditional Chinese medicine, I mean, it, it, it contains many different sort of herbal remedies um, rooted in the, the, the traditional uh, traditions of, of, of medicine as it's seen in, in the West, in the Western um, part of the world, in that part of the world, uh, sorry, the Eastern part of the world. And um, that would include things like um, adaptogens, like reishi mushroom, uh, you may have heard of. Um, it, it contains other adaptogenic ingredients like um, uh, curcumin, which again is found in many different specialized nutrition products. Is that turmeric, over- curcumin? Yes, it might be. Okay. Okay, yes, cool. it can come through that, or again, ginseng as well. Another very common thing that you see in uh, in, in sort of normal specialized nutrition products, but is also rooted in Chinese medicine. Um, but we're going to what we saw from this particular piece of research is that there are everyday um, ingredients that were coming through um, that potentially could be could be useful in combating against viruses. Everything down to compounds found in things like red pepper, um, even found in things like bark extracts, um, and I think as this sort of thing starts to filter through to the consumer, brands are going to start to, even in the wake of maybe not not being huge amounts of scientific evidence to support it, is going to start to come through. Now, there is obviously a, a balance of responsibility to be held here from the brand and making sure that there's a, uh, you know, there's there's a, there are things that are efficacious, but at the same time, we're not we're not putting people's health in in danger, and we're not selling them something that's effectively snake oil. Um, but but I think <laughs> we've got to be we've got to be mindful that the consumer wants something now, and we've seen that in the Google Trends data, where consumers are searching for immune boosting foods, but they're now looking for also for antiviral foods, um, particularly on the internet um so we're going to see just want to stop you one second because i want to ask jody who's in that region sorry i'm interrupting no, you of course. Um, during this covid19 crisis rick's obviously talking about how it can impact west but have you seen i don't know more brands talking about um chinese medicines more than and, and some of these ingredients more because of it or is it is this something that has always been around and consumers have it, it because anyway um is this been a boost for that industry in in asia um, I believe so. We've see, definitely seen consumers across Asia, not just in China, but each country has their own sort of traditional version of traditional medicine. So we've seen a number of key ingredients uh, linked to the uh, symptoms of COVID really take off. And you've had panic buying of toilet paper and you've had panic buying of black garlic or, you know, some ginger and some of these um, traditional ingredients. My gosh. Okay. So showing what the future may hold. Um, Rick, um, you mentioned already this idea that consumers may trust in, in maybe 
unproven medical medicines. At the same time, will this bring a focus back and trust back into actually listening to medical experts again? Maybe that they've we we did a podcast a few weeks ago on on all fads and, and all sorts of diets. Um, yes. And actually, could maybe will this go, consumers will start to listen to their medical services more about health because of it? Quite quite potentially. I mean, interestingly, I'm I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what this affects in two particular consumer groups. One, it, um, we we know that from looking at our own data um, that we've pulled on consumers that it appears to be uh, the millennials group that are the the most fearful and prob- probably the most, um, I suppose, uh, divergent in terms of their uh, purchasing habits after hearing about health-related news. And if we think about that particular generation, they, they're ones that potentially are going to have young, younger children. And so they're going to be thinking, well, all right, um, maybe I need to worry about what little one is going to have. And we've unfortunately over the sort of the years there has been a sort of I suppose a push away from um, mainstream medicine and maybe mainstream um, you know a doctor's advice and and more sort of alternative stuff coming through and and some of it not maybe particularly effective and in the wake of COVID-19 that may bring people back to uh, again the traditional opinion of maybe their doctor or their pediatrician for for their for their child, and so we're going to see this kind of as you say push towards right. I need to get proper medical opinion, um, but at the same time, I, I, if there is no vaccine available for my child, maybe I should try some of these remedies. And we, when we ask consumers about that sort of thing, you know, for instance, um, something, you know in a parallel sector, you know, we ask them about sleeping aids and things like that. Most consumers will, will drive for the, for the natural option where possible before seeking the over the counter medication, even if the over the counter medication has been proven to be more effective. There's a sort of, I suppose, a natural affinity towards the uh, natural affinity towards the natural option as it were. That's really interesting. Other than medicine, um, I remember when we were talking before this. I don't know wh- which one of you thought up the the term. I don't know. I think it was it was it you, Jodie. You used the term um, cleanliness theatre. Oh, that was Marcia. Oh, yeah. Marcia's. Sorry, Marcia. Um, I lo- We lo- I think we all loved it. But it was I, I, separate from the medicine. Um, I know Rick. We were talking about um, how it's going to also impact hygiene as well. So, food and drink yes. industry maybe showing off how cl- how clean they are. We have hygiene ratings already mm. but we'll still go and eat a takeaway that's two star or whatever that means um you know harmers um but the, this idea of cleanliness theater um i really want to talk about it i don't know who wants to go first marcia you go first um yeah cleanliness theater is a term we've coined um as a spin-off of the concept of security theater security theater came about in after 9-11 when the airports would suddenly be manned by two or three um, heavily armed guards and a couple of big concrete barriers, that did nothing. That would not stop a hijacker. What it did stop was anxiety because we thought we were being protected. Uh, Because we saw the armed guards, that means, oh, there must be a lot more going on than we knew about before. And that translates to the cleanliness cleanliness theater. It's going to be more... um, spectacle more showing that we are keeping stores and restaurants clean they might do that behind the scenes at two o'clock in the morning when the store is closed but now we're also going to see um people 
at all hours of the day and night cleaning actively, making sure the um, wipes for the carts are replenished, making sure the garbage is taken away, making sure the floors are washed. This cleanliness theater is something that's going to go on, I think, as a way of assuring people they can go back to the retail mm. environment. Interesting. I, I remember I've already had, um, I had a pizza a few weeks ago. And I don't know if this is cleanliness theater or not, I know. Um, but the guy knocked on the door, put the pizza on the floor, and then he was already back at his bike by the time I'd opened the front door. Oh. And, and he said, the, the meal's there and he's wearing gloves. And, he, and um, I don't know if that, I think it was one of, one of the delivery services that are offering that as a, it's the same for every takeaway. Mm. And then the simplicity of that, whether that might actually continue long-term now. Yeah, I think There's that, no contact. I think that people are going to look for contactless um, transactions. Mm. Um, I posit that it's also going to make drones much more popular. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> drones delivering your dinner. Well, because um, that's where the point of contact happens. If you order online and you pay online, um, what happens after that? A human has to touch it. A human has to deliver it, even if it's something sealed in plastic. So that's they're, they've got to mitigate the uh, potential contact and that will continue. I think that's true. I think the, the, this whole this whole time that we're we're living in is going to have to push some of these uh, uh, more niche technologies that we're seeing more in. I suppose light entertainment, like drones, to actually being practical ways of of delivering foods quicker to people, or indeed other other goods that they need. Right, medicine. Like medicine, exactly, to vulnerable groups. And um, I was thinking actually just along the, the cleanliness theatre line that I could I could definitely see this being something that gets put on the front of pack of, of specialized products. You know, I'm thinking potentially it could even be pushed into, you know, foods for special medical purposes or indeed, you know, even baby foods or uh, infant products, you know, because again, to give that reassurance to the consumer, you know, that we've, we've done our duty, we've made sure this is absolutely clean, it's sterile, it's, and, and again, that's not to say that it wasn't being before. I mean, again, if we take infant formula, it's one of the most <laughs> heavily regulated and managed uh, goods on the market because it's being given to a baby. Um, but even still, there's going to be that maybe that fear in parents' minds thinking, goodness, is this actually as clean as it should be? And I'm about to give it to my baby. Um, you know, there will be that kind of almost kite mark seal approval to say that it's, it's, it's allergen free and it's pathogen free in that sense. Oh, brilliant. Um, good to, well, immunity starting right from formula all the way up to um, for all the consumers. So that's going to be a claim that's going to be very busy um, for the time being. So we talked about um, health, immunity, diabetes, and how consumers are going to be caring probably more about um, these issues, about traditional Chinese medicines, about cleanliness theatre, and so on. So we looked at that reinvigorating consumers in the minds of health. But Jody had this term retooling um, that we wanted to get onto. What do you mean by this? We came up with retooling when we were talking with Marcia uh, because we've seen so many food and drink companies and actually companies in general who can uh, divert their production and their energies towards doing things that are going to help in a constructive way in this crisis. So, you know, the classic example is when LVMH announced very early on in all of this that they were going to uh, cease production of cosmetics and perfumes in some of their factories and start making hand sanitizer to give to hospitals for free. What was amazing was how quickly and how spontaneously we saw food and drink companies step up and um, be part of the, not solution, but try and constructively help in this situation as an industry that's doing comparatively well compared to many others 
uh, that have just been obliterated at the moment. Have we seen any other cool stuff? We've seen a few, there's always things mentioned in the news, but cool stuff that food and drink companies are doing, um, whether it be about meals or providing a bit of comfort and joy or I don't know. Yeah, so, I mean, there's so many examples. Early on, we saw probably one of the most outstanding examples or biggest examples happened in Thailand. So CP Foods is a, a, one of the biggest food companies, or if not the biggest food company in Thailand. Um, January 5th, 25th, they announced they were donating um, hundreds of millions of Thai baht to China to help them with their fight against coronavirus. Uh, and then on the 5th of March, when Thailand only had 47 cases and one fatality, they announced that they would be building a factory within five weeks or three factories. So it's about now. We're now, I haven't mentioned this yet, actually. Now we're April um, 13th. So yes. we are. Yeah. So 16th of April, the factories are meant to open. Uh, so we'll see. Wow. Okay. Yes. This week. Yes. And they're going to be producing 3 million masks per month um, to give to hospitals in need for free. And in addition to that, they also announced they would be supplying 14 days' worth of free meals to people who are undergoing testing for COVID-19 and medical staff. Um, so, you know, to make these decisions so quickly, so early on, um, is just absolutely incredible. Mm. So effectively changing their business, well, maybe not business, they've, they've taken factory space and factory time and made medical equipment. Yeah. All the, yeah I mean, they're not <laughs> even in the it's industry of producing masks at all. So they're a food company. So to get into this new business, to make these decisions, when you even think about the decisions involved in doing this podcast and the conferring we had to do, you gotcha. know, they made these decisions to spend, you know, do this massive undertake this massive capital investment and be giving committing to giving away things for free so fast yeah. uh, and we didn't even know how big this was going to get at that point in time I thought it was really incredible uh, but it comes back to um, sustainability a lot of people are saying where does sustainability go in all of this um, but I think it depends people often link sustainability just to the environment but sustainability also involves people and community and operating in a way that's, you know, mutually beneficial for all. So three, this CP Foods have a three-benefit principle where everything they do has to benefit their, the people or the country, the society, as well as the company. And you can see that's really been in action in that situation. And a huge amount of community spirit. Um, I know in... Um, a lot of people have been furloughed from their jobs, lost their jobs, jobs are on hold. But yeah, supermarkets have decided to just go and hire a load of people. Um, and Amazon have gone and hired a load mm. of people to yes. deliver stuff for them. And so you see, yeah, that idea of we're going to keep people working and paying them for essential key jobs. But, um, you know, the supermarkets are doing so much work just to, you know, for people. Yeah. And so and they're taking, they're take targeting industries. So in Australia, yeah. they targeted airline employees in China, wow. Hema, a big uh, retailer there, targeted food service workers, like waiters who are out of work and got them working in their supermarket. So they're, you know, helping, in effect, helping those un other industries by sort of taking care of their workers while they're, they're unable to employ them. And it's just been other random, smaller, smaller random acts of kindness by these food manufacturers. I mean, here... Um, a lot of candy companies were shutting down. They couldn't 
couldn't keep going, but um, they made sure that the first responders got their Easter candy because they would just send a lot, send a lot of bunnies and, and peeps and various candy to various um, first responders that just made a difference. I mean, they could have not, but they did. They chose to. Yeah, comfort food is always doing well. I think I just wrote a piece of an article about we should indulgence is, is going to be essential at this moment in time. Um, and uh, I'm sure chocolate's doing quite well, Marcia. <laughs> yeah, that, but that flies in the face of Rick's um, maintaining your health. So Sorry, Rick. <laughs> we're going to have to balance. <laughs> that's like, a now. That's a now. Long-term health. Chocolate yeah. is always, it's, it's recession-proof. Well, there's yeah, mental health as well. It's mental, mental health. health. Exactly. <laughs> it's emotional, yeah, yeah. emotional support <laughs> chocolate. So. Yeah, Tony's chocolate only. I'm thinking of. <laughs> yes. Oh, they're they're um, but they're a wonderfully um, a wonderful company for sustainability blockchain, yeah. making sure, sure that um the workers are being paid properly in in uh, Cote d'Ivoire mm. is really important, and that's going to become even more critical as um Africa becomes more involved or more hit by Corona. Mm. Um, yeah. I actually read this morning that not only is it being hit by Corona in places. By, like Cote d'Ivoire, um, Ebola is back. So mm, they're being hit yes. by a double whammy of, of, um, of pandemics. Mm-hmm. And it's really going to hit that continent very hard. So we've got to keep buying our coffee and our chocolate. Um, on that, I, I, think, I think we could ask Jodie to talk about amazing stuff like, that, that she's seen from a CSR point of view um, throughout the whole podcast. We are going to come back to it uh, um, towards the end. But our... Um, in terms of timing, I just want to make, uh, make sure that we cover all three of these. Our last topic actually picks up nicely from getting into some of those you know, categories and, and, and products. Um, Marcia had a, a title of reintroducing. What do you mean? Well, my, my, I love cliches, and my cliche for this is everything old is new again. Suddenly, um, center of the store products have become very attractive because they're shelf-stable, and suddenly everyone, out, everyone knows what to do with a can of mushroom soup. I mean, no one touched a can of mushroom soup for a hundred years, <laughs> but suddenly everyone's an expert and everyone's surviving on center of the store staples <laughs> that have a long shelf life. And um, this flies in the face of our passion for fresh food, but it's going to coexist with our passion for fresh food because while we will re-embrace the fresh in our lives, I think that we're all going to be a little more careful to make sure that we are well stocked. That means stocking up on the essentials, stocking up on products we didn't buy before, like tinned soup and tinned tomatoes and even tinned fruits and vegetables that, you know, have been downplayed for all these years that we've been investing our lives in the fresh market. Um, There's room for these things to come back as well. And I think that's one thing we're going to see is that brands that brands that weren't doing well will revive brands that are doing well, will find a way to, make up for their losses that they're liable to incur when when the economy goes down. The other thing, of course, is um, store brands will become popular again. Not that they're poorer quality, they're just lower priced, and that's going to make a big difference as well. On that one, we had an immediate reaction, I think, from Jamie Oliver, who always seems to react well um, when times are tough. Um, he, he immediately, one of his shows where he said, I'm going to take you through a load of recipes that you can make for your families using what you've got. And he showed them how to make basic tagliatelle with just flour and water and a knife um, and how to make um, three different pasta sauces using just frozen and tinned 
um, ingredients. And he kept saying, if you don't have this ingredient because it's out of stock, you can use this ingredient or this ingredient instead. And um, it was, it's really inspiring. I love that. Yeah, that's happening here too in the US. There's a lot of people, a lot of mm-hmm. chefs, a lot of chefs. The New York Times publishes recipes every day online saying what to do with what's in your pantry right now. Um, also, people have rediscovered that they have to cook to survive, um, especially younger people who spent every five wow. out of seven nights in a restaurant suddenly have to, can't spend five out of seven nights in a restaurant and they're learning how to cook again. In the United States, you cannot, for love or money, find flour or yeast. Everybody's baking bread. Everybody's baking bread. Right. Everybody's posting their <laughs> bread baking for better or for worse. Um, you know, it's become a way of... of it's a return to basics, a return to things that we lost when we became so caught up in the, pa- the fast-paced life. Everyone's having to take mm. a step back and slow down and do it themselves again, which is, if that stays, it's going to be an interesting development in every aspect of our lives. So we're all foodie people. Any of you guys, what have you, anything you've made that you haven't made in a while that you've, you've made a few times during the last few weeks? Because I've got one, but I'll tell you in a minute. Well, we have, on, on the funny, on the baking note, um, I spent my entire hour um, of allotted time that we're supposed to be outside in, in, in the UK um, uh, searching for baking paper because the, because <laughs> the eight stores that I'd been to was, was out, but oh. we did manage to do some, some baking in the end, which was quite nice. Awesome. Jody, have you done any cooking that has been, that you pulled out of the bag from the pantry? Uh, oh goodness. We've returned to so many basics. So I have children as well who are homeschooling. So keeping them oh, occupied, gosh. cooking is a great way to keep them occupied. So we've been using more than our fair mm-hmm. share of wheat yeast. We've done bread, scrolls, uh, made stock from scratch, made gnocchi from scratch, done five-hour smoked oh. brisket, yeah, where we yes. were using our time well <laughs> and eating well. <laughs> I think there'll be a problem at the other end of this. Smoked <laughs> brisket. Um, I have been ma- – I've made now three shakshukas in the last two or three weeks just because it, everything's from a tin other than the eggs, which we managed to get a couple of eggs. Um, everything's from a tin, so it's great. You know, tin tomatoes, throw in some chickpeas, mm. put some feta on top, which is from a packet that's got a really long date life, frozen spinach stirred into it, some chilies and some spices, and you're, you're, you're all dry. Um, easy, massive meal. Um, so I've been, been making a few of those. Uh, anyone wants my recipe, you know, please uh, tweet or email into Mintel and I'll happily share my shakshuka <laughs> recipe with you guys. Um, Marcia's laughing in the background. I can share it with you. You've shared your, your challah bread recipe with me in the past. Uh, sure. Uh, <laughs> I've become the queen of the soup pot because anything that's in the fridge for more than two days goes into the soup pot. Um, so it's stocks and vegetable soups and we try to keep everything as fresh as we can. But you know, when you're living like this with once a week or once every two week food deliveries, things kind of get soggy. So um, very become very good at celery and mushroom soup. Mm. Seems to be my latest skill. Brilliant. I deliberately took us on a tangent, but we had one more topic. I think, um, Rick, you talked about it, this idea of, and I'm also touching it, this idea of smaller companies. Um, is it filling the gap where big companies maybe just haven't, got the supply or are struggling to meet the demand yeah. um, because they haven't had to for a while. Yeah, I, I, I did definitely uh, come across that in the, in the infant formula category. I mean, it, it's, you know, it's, an, it's the, the term that gets thrown around a lot is a rapidly changing scenario, but it, it really is when it comes to uh, infant formula that some of the, the bigger brands have sort of put out messages saying that, you know, we, we may not be able to fill your 
uh, your stock requirements or fulfill your needs for your child in terms of getting your informal. You may have to go to different stores to get that. Um, and so in that time frame, some of the smaller infant formula brands have sort of stepped up to the mark because obviously they're smaller production and so they probably don't have necessarily the overheads of maybe some of the bigger companies. And um, they've actually come forward and said, no, actually, we can fulfill all your needs. And I saw that recently with uh, Kender Mill, who are a uh, UK-based um, infant formula company um, based in Cumbria. Um, and they, they've sort of put a message on their website saying that they, that they, they haven't got any shortage at all and that people can order and that they, they won't have any problems getting enough for their, for their child, which I thought was quite interesting, actually. So this kind of sort of shop local seems to be spreading into categories beyond just, you know, popping to your local shop to get your essentials, really. It's down to also specialized products. And picking up from there, what we've noticed here is that when you order from a supermarket um, online or by phone, however else, however you reach them and they fulfill your order, if they don't have what you want, they often substitute what they do have. Mm. That opens us up to trying brands we never would have tried before and discovering that, oh, well, brand B is actually really good. I'm going to yeah. stick with brand B. I'm going to switch to brand B. I'm going to explore brand B. Mm. So it, it does open a lot of potential opportunities that weren't there before because as a shopper in a retail environment I wouldn't have stopped by brand B I would have just gone straight for brand A sure one thing we saw in Australia was um, and this is on a slightly different tangent but still to do with smaller brands and and supply chains is there's a premium muesli and snack brand that had always sourced everything locally and they've done really well out of this in the short term anyway, because unlike their competitors who couldn't keep up with supply, partly because they were getting some of their sources and packaging from overseas where it was cheaper, because they did everything locally, they've been able to keep up with demand and more. So that sort of worked in their favour in this situation. So it's not just going to be Brexit that makes us go local. Um, it's going to be, there's lots of other reasons too. I love that. Um, I, we're going to, we're going to um, I guess we're going to end on those main topics that we talked about, uh, reinvigorating, retooling and reintroducing. But because um, we wanted this to be uplifting and I want to focus on, I guess, that retooling to finish off or, or even just the, some of the topics around the, um, the, the great things companies are doing. Um, can each of you uh, think of a food and drink company or a story or uh, from from uh, food service as well um, that you've seen over the past um, you know few months now? Um, as I said, we're at April um, 13. Um, that uh, has maybe inspired you within the food and drink industry. I don't know who Jody. Do you want to kick us off on this one? As this was your topic. So, in my examples, I saw so many different directions at the kindness was flowing in. So I gave you an example of how this big company helped out. We also saw companies helping each other. So there was a situation in Japan where a dairy company who was supplying all the milk to school children, because schools shut down, they had all this milk supply coming in and, and nowhere to sell it. So we saw a home delivery, food service delivery company, pick up that milk and promote it run a quick promotion saying they were now selling the school milk and everyone should get on board and buy it and they sold it at a 30% discount. Um, and so that went really well. And we've also seen consumers helping companies. So we've seen examples in food service across many markets where people are buying meals and drinks now 
to redeem when this is over. So giving those companies a bit of cash flow to help them get through and when things get better, then they can go in and, and claim their what they bought. So, you know, it's, awesome. it's everyone's helping each other and I think that's, you know, kindness calms anxiety. Um, it's a social glue. Um, so, and, it, and it's also appropriate for the food yeah. service food industry to be doing this. I mean, they're doing well, but also on a micro level, food helps people bond. And we're seeing now in this crisis, the food industry is being part of that solution and helping people bond. Rick, you go next. You're nodding and smiling away. Yeah, um, I, I, I saw something quite inspiring. And, and no, normally I'm, I'm sometimes a little bit scathing of my own trade union, which is the British Dietetic Association. But I saw something quite uh, quite inspiring from their work with some of the major market chains recently. So that would be, you know, Marks and Spencer, uh, Tesco's, Asda and Sainsbury's. And what they managed to do was um, amongst amongst the people who have been sort of, I suppose, designated as vulnerable in the, in the, in the pandemic, that would be people because who are working on the front line and being exposed to the virus every day. And also the elderly who, you know, who may be isolated and also, um, you know, are more likely to contract the condition and maybe not, not do so well from it. They've been designated vulnerable groups and they've been given specific shopping hours. Well, the British Dietetic Association thought, well, actually there's a whole swathe of people out there who have got special dietary needs for whatever reason. They've got celiac disease, so they can't eat gluten. Uh, no, they've got diabetes. Maybe they've got another specialist condition. And so what they came up with was a sort of almost like a prescription letter um, that all these supermarkets accepted that be written by their dietitian to say, look, this person needs to have access to the supermarket in these vulnerable hours and needs to have a special delivery spot and they might need extra food in the um, rationed um, category. So things like, you know, pasta, rice or anything like that because of their specialist needs. Um, and I thought that was quite an inspiring and outside the box thinking of the people who might have otherwise gone invisible in this crisis because they're not shouting loud enough. So I thought, you know, hats off to those guys. They did quite well there. Really cool. Really cool. Marcia? Um, well, mine's a bit more um, individual, I would say. I'm currently living in a small town that is a tourist town, and most of the restaurants have been forced to shut and have lost their business and they're closing. One restaurant, however, developed a once-a-week meal box with you subscribe and you tell them your dietary preferences at the start. And then every Wednesday, a box with everything from the um, appetizers to the dessert, the wine, the beer, um, the toilet paper, and the treat all appears on your doorstep every week. And it stops you from having to decide what to cook every night, which is becoming a chore. It also is something special to look forward to. You pay in advance the product comes, um, you know, in a box and it's left on your doorstep. So there's no point of contact. And you know that the people preparing it are making an extra special job to stay open, keep their workers employed. You're helping them and you're also helping yourself. So I think that's a great way to keep um, a restaurant in business in these really trying times for small restaurants. Uh, fabulous. Um, it shows the, I guess, the very best of humanity. Um, you know, bad stuff happens and actually people come together. You know, um, we had data last year saying that people were eating a lot more alone. And actually, this, this is showing that actually people are eating together again, you know, because it's brought people together. Uh, we've seen supermarkets doing quite good value boxes for people who are isolated at home, especially our older mm. consumers and getting a box of essentials delivered to their front door. We've, we've seen 
uh, supermarkets doing just um, the, the, the first hour of the day just for people working in the medical profession and um, to support them and make sure they can get um, the food food they have and one of my personal favorites i watched john legend on instagram in his boxes with his family singing a, um, a concert um to it was tens of thousands of people on his instagram page that's not food related but it was pretty <laughs> awesome anyway that you wouldn't normally see other than right now while we're isolated um i quite like john legend anyway um uh, so no thank you very much um we're gonna finish it there i know we could talk about this one all night uh, do you feel a bit more uplifted in the food, food and drink industry? Or at least there's a lot to think about. I really liked what you had to say, um, sorry, uh, Ed, when we were talking about this, when you linked it back to trust and restoring it, mm. ho- hopefully will restore some trust, consumer trust back in the food industry, um, which has been a bit, um, you know, damaged in recent years, particularly amongst big food. Well, I, I threw in my... my uh previous life as an archaeologist, and I can tell you that the human race is extremely resilient, and we just keep going. Um, I'm now also living in a military community, and I can tell you that their attitude is just suck it up and keep going. We don't have a choice. We just keep going, and that's what the food industry is really trying to do is to keep us all going, so that's pretty positive. Rick, final thoughts? It has been the worst of times for for many, and it's been really trying for many, but I think there is a very bright future for for many of the categories, you know, moving forwards, and we're already seeing some of the fruit being born um, in terms of consumer behaviour, and I think that's going to stand the test of time. Sure, there's going to be things that consumers do now moving forward that are unprecedented you know they're going to be changing some of their purchasing habits and their personal behaviors but i think uh, if brands are willing to be flexible and move with that i think there's there's some really positive things that are going to be coming in the future awesome so there we go um our listeners thank you very much for joining us again please subscribe rate review keep listening to our podcast every week we're going to be going all the way through this whole period talking about all sorts of other things as well and um, to keep you uplifted um and and keep you foodies your your tastes um tingling um you can get this podcast anywhere, um, any of the podcast platforms. Um, check out our website if um, if you want to. We're also on LinkedIn and Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. You know, catch me for the Shakshuka recipe. Um, just a final point, stay safe, uh, eat well, um, and enjoy the time with your families and on your um, on your social media platforms with your friends. Um, make sure you keep keep talking and keep eating. Um, so uh, thank you very much for listening to Mintel's little conversation and we'll see you all soon. Yeah.